Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ with you. Keith, nine and three, just like we predicted back in July and August. I recall you saying they were going to start 4-0, struggle in the middle stretch, and then close out with five straight wins, including victories over Miami and Florida. So congratulations on getting that one right. You have uh, evidently been in the adult beverages too early this morning. Because <laughs> well, I, I did not see that in any way, shape, form, or fashion, but thank you. That actually is a true statement about the adult beverages early this morning. However, the early was not at 9.30 or 10. It, it might have been at uh, 2, something Understood. like that. It Understood. might have been a celebratory drink when I got back to the house. So we could we could do it this way, Keith. We could nitpick all that was wrong with that game. Or we could stop and appreciate where this team has come from and where they are right now and where they're going. I think, simply put, that game was a microcosm of what FSU is, which is a good football team uh, with some good players with the heart of a champion. I mean, they fight like hell for one another, but they're also a flawed football team. They have some deficiencies and Florida exposed some of those, but at the end of the day, to be nine and three, I'm not going to argue about it one iota. Uh, I think the coaches, even without seeing last night's game, would know where they have to improve. And, and now there's an opportunity with your being back on the national stage to make further inroads in terms of the improvement in the places you need. The two biggest takeaways for me is number one, the heart issue. Uh, the kids did continue to fight uh, and they have shown that throughout the, the entire season. So if that is in fact the uh, result of the climb, and that is in fact the standard that this program is going to play under, under Norvell, then I think uh, days ahead are good. By no means am I suggesting, and nor would anyone who knows this squad, that they'll play for a national championship next year. They might. They might, but I'm not willing to predict it. The second part is you now get an opportunity to go into a bowl game. We've not seen Norvell and his staff and what they do for a bowl game. <clears throat> Pardon me. You're going to know who your red shirts are. You're going to know who you can count on. You get the extra practices, which is the equivalent of a second spring. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if there's any opt-outs. That's, that's something that is um, normal these days. Still don't like it, but it's the reality. And so now you're taking the next step. Now you go into bowl prep, and you find out who you're playing, and you find out how to get ready, and you find out how to transition into winter, and then into spring, and then you're continuing that climb of building your program. It was an interesting game. If we'll get into the game and then we can go back, you want to assess the game a little bit and then we can go more big picture or how do you want to handle it? Well, I think a lot of folks will be disappointed in the defense uh, after the performances that they had had. Now, again, they were against uh, in some cases, second, third team quarterbacks. Uh, you got Anthony Richardson on a night that he was hot and cold. He was hot very early and then got very cold in the middle. I think that's again, who he is, though. That's who he I, is. I, I agree. I agree. I'm just saying you got his best shot and you got his worst shot, and then you got his best shot again, and you survived it. Well, let's, uh, he's, he's supremely talented, so you know they're going to get yards when he's on. And, and aside from the first bust on the first you know, touchdown, I thought everything else was earned by Florida and not given up by Florida State. What I was going to say to look into the hot cold thing a little bit, Florida State was rushing four in the early part of the game when when Florida got to 24 points at halftime. And then they brought more pressure in the third quarter. And that's when Florida went three and out, I think, three drives in a row. And then Florida responded to the pressure that FSU was bringing. And that's when they came back in the fourth quarter. So it seemed to me just on that sample size that and this would be true for any quarterback, I think, if you're going to give him a clean pocket and time to throw, because that is a good Florida offensive line. FSU couldn't do anything against it with just a four-man front. Uh, then he's going to be able to find some open receivers. But if you if you got him hurried or, or uh, made him move at all and still throw, then he was off target through an interception, that sort of thing. And I think the argument can be made that uh, the coaching staff and the players responding to the coaching staff's halftime adjustments were good. And then, as you mentioned, Florida and their staff and their players readjusted, you know, the latter part of the third quarter, the beginning of the, and all of the fourth quarter. And that's, you know, that's the game of, of coaching and techniques and X's and O's that you've got to be able to manage at this level as well. Let me just get this one off my chest real quick, Keith, because we are going to nitpick and FSU needs to be better. 
but I know there is the the still frame of the face mask that wasn't called on the last play and Florida fans are irate and the ref screwed them and all that. And FSU fans are, while they're enjoying the win, they're going to look back and they're going to have to listen to their Florida fans talk about how a middle of the pack SEC team went toe to toe with the second best ACC team. And you know what I say? Who cares? Who cares? Let Florida fans think about that for 365 days and be annoyed that their own refs missed a call. At the end of the day, the better the better football team won. I see we we talk about this, Keith, when Florida State fans are frustrated about calls. Uh, when when FSU has a team that's good enough to win the game, we never spend any time afterwards nitpicking ref calls. But when you're playing close games and you need more things to go right than wrong, then a, then a call hurts you. And uh, so I I don't think uh, ultimately that's that had that's not the reason Florida State won the football game. They're they're the better football team. But I do think that uh, as we've talked about, you never apologize for a win, and so just enjoy it. Well, if you want to nitpick down to the nth degree, what about the pass interference call that wasn't pass interference that extended the Florida drive to get to the point where they're – and by the way, I haven't seen the still photo, but I, I watched the game and I watched the replay, and there was no grasping on the replays, the television replays. There was no grasping of the face mask. You can put your hand on the face mask, just like you can put your hand on the top of the helmet, the side of the helmet. You just can't grab it. So there's an argument to be made either way, and that's what makes college football interesting. I just laughed when I saw it because I thought we're not going to complain about the refs in the FSU Florida game unless we're going to get Lane Fenner on the show to talk about the biggest screw job in the history of this series. That we'll is correct. leave it at that. Uh, I do think it's uh, – I forget how this happened, and I don't know when it switched back, but it was the 03 game that FSU won on the catch to P.K. Sam – when there are a lot of controversial calls, it was ACC refs because the contract at the time called for the visiting team to bring its refs to the games. And Florida fans were upset. Oh, the ACC, you know, had it in for Florida and helped FSU win the game. So they changed it for a few years, I think. Did they not? So that the visiting team was not bringing its refs with them. But last night it was SEC refs again. I, I don't I don't know exactly why, but here here's my bigger thing about the officiating. And by the way, there were there were missed face mask calls against Florida in the first half. One of the Jordan Travis touchdown, no touchdown that they reviewed on the slide. It was helmet to helmet contact and he launched and that player should have been tossed. And they looked at the review and didn't bother to mention the targeting. So we exactly do this forever. My my bigger issue, and I've had this issue for a long time, Keith, is the way the game is officiated differently from conference to conference. I've always wanted nationalized uh, officials. Uh, So you don't have the perception that they're from a specific conference and more than that, so that refs call the games in similar ways because guys were getting mugged last night on the line and there's no flag. And that's okay. Once you figure that out, then you just have to adjust and play. Uh, And on the one hand, it is a much cleaner game. We didn't have a lot, a lot of nitpicky reviews. I felt like in that first half until every touchdown became something they had to review but it's just different than the way the ACC game is officiated. And Florida folks will be every bit as frustrated next year if it's ACC officials when they get 15 penalties called on them because the ACC will call holding three times a game. No question. And I don't know that you'll ever achieve the standard that you've been calling for for years. Um, but uh, I will say that the, at least until the last part of the, of the game, I thought the officials did a pretty good job. Uh, I didn't agree with the first review of the Jordan Travis touchdown. I, di- I didn't think his knee hit because I never saw anything, you know, pick up from the ground. But, but again, that's into the nitpicking and way into the weeds. Uh, I do agree with you, and particularly when you get into the latter part of the fourth quarter and, and the second half, the first half as well, second quarter. You know, when you get inside four minutes uh, on, any, on either half, let them play. Let them play. That's been a mindset on the on the basketball court for many years. You know, you get inside in two minutes, you get inside one minute. <clears throat> Pardon me. You know, let the kids decide the game uh, and not the officials. Uh, so whether it was a call or no call on the face mask, call or no call on the pass interference, um, you know, let the kids determine the outcome. So let me set up the pass interference, and then I'll let you elaborate on why it wasn't. So you're talking about the fourth down call, and it went on Jarquez McClellan or McClellan. Uh, he's been here a couple of years, and I'm still not 100% positive how to pronounce his last name. Right. But to, to set it up first, so Akeem Dent, I guess he got hurt during the week at practice. I think he played a little special teams, but wasn't available 
at the safety position. So you really right. had Jamie Robinson and Shaheen Brown. Shaheen Brown went down on Florida's last touchdown in the end zone there, that series. And so he wasn't back available. So that's the answer to the question, why was McClellan in the game right then when he really hadn't played? And now I'll let you take it from there on that pass and why you thought it wasn't pass interference. Well, the, 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 you know, everybody thinks that if you touch a receiver while the ball's in the air, it's pass interference. No, the rule says that what, whatever you do, you can't impede their progress and you can't pin their arms. And what has historically been the case, and if you go back and watch the replay, the official, as you're looking at it from the sideline, the play is going away from you. Florida's moving left to right. The receiver's cut to his left. Pardon me. So the play is going away from you. So you've got two officials, one to the left and one to the right. He got his hand on his back, but he never impeded his progress. Well, the official to the left didn't see the hand, saw that there wasn't contact and he wasn't impeded, and he got his left hand in and knocked the ball down. But the official behind, all he can see is that right hand of the defender on the right shoulder, the right back of the receiver. And historically, historically, that has always been pass interference. But the game has changed. That, that historical thing went out 10 years ago, 12 years ago. So as long as you're not impeding progress and you don't pin the arm, it's not supposed to be called. It looks like pass interference if you're old, but it's not in today's game. That's why I didn't like the call. Gotcha. Well, thank you for explaining that. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't mean to get off on a whole tangent about the officiating. I thought you do have to credit Florida for how hard they played and how well they played. And, and then we can talk about FSU's contributions to that if you want. But we knew we were going to see that from Florida. Florida was playing free and easy. FSU has done this to Florida at times when Florida is clearly the better team and FSU goes in uh, and it's a rivalry game. Florida was embarrassed last week. You knew they were going to play better. And I know they were missing a couple of their best receivers. Uh, Even if those receivers are there, the issue was Florida state was getting crushed in the slot. So what did you see on that? Uh, And again, after Florida state started bringing pressure, Richardson didn't have time to find a slot receiver. I suppose they tightened up the coverage too, or maybe changed it, but, uh, four of those catches and, and, and the touchdowns were all in the first half. Well, it goes back to the point that you made. FSU was unable to get pressure with four. So now you got to bring five or six. So do you bring, you only have two linebackers in there. So you give up one of them and allow Richardson to either move up in the pocket or sprint out and he kills you. Or do you bring one of your defensive backs? Well, if you bring one of your defensive backs, that eliminates the old five under man coverage where you play man underneath the two safeties over the top. And that's what Florida State chose to do. They chose to bring safeties and that loud one-on-one coverage. The only mistake that I see, and, and this is a philosophical thing, Tommy. Our listeners have heard me talk about this before. You know, the new way of coaching defensive backs is to not get your head around, to pay attention to the receiver's eyes and the receiver's hands, and to strip them when the ball comes in. That's just not the way I was taught. I'm not saying one is better and one is worse. It's just different. The other thing that is being done now, instead of pressing the slot receivers, they'll still press on the outside, but they don't press the slot receivers. So whoever's covering the slot or a tight end that might be flexed is five or seven yards off of the ball instead of in their face. And that's a whole different way of covering. And on that second touchdown, um, the, the, the defensive back, forgive me, I can't recall his name, but he was in great position and he went for the ball and he just missed it. You know, you run that play 10 times, he probably makes that play seven. So do you get upset? Does, does an old defensive back like me get upset with the, with the scheme? Or do you simply say, this is today's game and Richardson made a great pass and it was a great reception and we just got to move on? That was, that was, it it was Kevin Knowles, the one you're talking about. Okay. And And so what I'm saying is he got beat, but he didn't really get beat. I mean, he got, it was a credit to Florida. Now the first one to to Pearsall, that was a bust. I don't know whose fault it is, but that was a bust. But that one is just a great execution of taking advantage of not being in bump and run, being off five to seven yards with a receiver that's pretty quick and he makes a move and you make a great throw. You see it done all the time on Sundays, and those guys get paid a lot of money. 
Yeah. Well, and it was inches and that that's what it is. And that was in the second quarter. And that was without extra pressure coming. So if there is a, a body getting close to Richardson, that throw is not on target. And and we saw that he missed 11 or 12 in a row at one point in that game. And that's been, that's been his issue all, all season long. Uh, I'll tell you what, uh, side note, if you took his frame and body and put Jordan Travis's ability in it, uh, you might have the best, the number one pick in the draft. Uh, and one heck of a future NFL quarterback if you just mesh those two. Really what I'm saying, and we'll get to Jordan, I hate it for Jordan that he's not two inches taller and 12 pounds heavier because it's it's going to be an uphill battle for him trying to get to the next level. But, man, is he dynamic right now watching him play. Hat tip well, to Jordan for what he did last night. Well, and let's, let's transition to that. Um, those two touchdown runs, uh, the first one in particular, well, the, the, the almost touchdown runs. I mean, he he eluded three tacklers and then juked a fourth one. I mean, that that might be as entertaining a run as Warwick, uh, uh, Peter Warwick's reverse reverse uh, several years ago against Louisiana uh, Tech. Exactly, yeah, I exactly. I mean, how how he got out of that is truly remarkable, and then the speed he had to get around the corner. Uh, he, he too, like Richardson, went through a spell when he was 0 for 5, 0 for 7 at one stretch. But he ended up throwing for 270 yards. His completion percentage was not great, but the yardage was great. Uh, what, 15 carries, 83 yards on the ground net. Uh, he's the reason that Florida State uh, has gone on this, this streak. And even on the couple of three games that they lost, you know, he was playing at an ex- outstanding level. We all thought, would he be durable enough? We, we knew he had flashes. We knew he could do things. I'm not sure we knew he could do these types of things, but we knew he could do things. But the question became, could he be durable? Well, he gained, gained a little weight over the offseason, got in the weight room, got a little stronger, learned how to get down and get out of bounds, and, and he's lasted the year, save you know, a half or, or whatever it was when uh, Tate had to come in. He's just been remarkable. I mean, he's not Winston. He's not Winky. He's not Ward yet, yet. But I found it interesting, Tommy. I don't know what it means. Maybe it means nothing, but he wasn't introduced with the seniors. Yeah, and it wasn't just seniors. So, for example, Fabian Lovett and Robert Cooper are technically redshirt juniors, but they chose to be introduced. Now, Florida State, when they released the names that were going to participate in the festivities, they had a big, it was either bolded or uh, there was an asterisk or it was underlined, but it said, it basically said, uh, uh, it's sort of like past results don't, don't guarantee future success. It said participation in senior day festivities does not necessarily indicate that this is a player's last game at Doe Campbell stadium. Okay. So or, or lack of participation in senior activities does not mean he's coming back. Right, right, exactly. That, <laughs> <laughs> that was the caveat they put in. So I talked to Jordan briefly after the game on the radio, uh, just asked him when he was going to make his decision or, or if he'd made it, and he said soon, soon. And just he was being pulled away to go do the TV interview. Uh, I haven't had a chance to catch up on all the media. It sounds like everybody just bought a little time last night. And nobody really declared. I talked to Trey Benson and uh, congratulated him on the game and said, you know, you just missed out on a thousand. He said, and and I suggested, I said, you get it in the bowl game. He said, I'll get it in the bowl game, but he was, he was noncommittal as well. Um, So I don't, I don't know, Uh, but let's, let's go back to Jordan overall. I was just looking at his numbers, Keith. 28, 2,796 passing yards, 22 touchdowns and four picks. That's where his numbers are right now. So if he plays the bowl game, it's a 3,000-yard season with more than 25 touchdowns if he plays it. Um, and that's just the the passing. Let me see what he finished with rushing on the year. Rushing, he had uh, 367 yards and seven touchdowns. So he accounted for 32 touchdowns. I forget how many fumbles he had over the course of the year, maybe three. So 32 touchdowns and seven turnovers. I mean, it was a dynamic season for Jordan. I think if I recall correctly, his – Career rushing yardage is up around 1,700, which best uh, Charlie's numbers by three or 400 yards. Uh, now, Charlie got the bulk of his in two seasons, and Travis has played three seasons. I'll be a couple of them were – well, at least one of them were abbreviated. 
Um, so he's the leading quarterback rusher in the history of the Florida State program. He's he's just been dynamic. I you know I think if if last year hadn't been what last year was, if, if last year Florida State had gone to a bowl game, so that people had seen this Florida State offense another time as they prep to get ready for the 2022 season, and then and then he backs it up with what he did this year, the the nation will have a much different opinion of him. The people that have seen him play, obviously the Florida State staff and opponent staff, and then you know television commentators, people that have looked at the tape, they will tell you how good he is. He just hasn't gotten the publicity because of the way things have, have worked themselves out. Uh, if he comes back, if he comes back, uh, he will be in New York. I'm not saying he'll win the Heisman Trophy, but if he stays healthy, he comes back. There's very little chance that he won't be in New York City this time next year. I just don't know if that's going to happen. Yeah, his his season was phenomenal. Uh, and by the way, a lot of people saw him play last night, and I guarantee you that game will do a big TV number because it was the only game in town anyway. And then the way social media works is people who aren't watching the game, all of a sudden they start looking at their Twitter timeline, Twitter feed, and and they realize there's a good game going on, and they switch over. And the fact that that game was – competitive from start to finish i'm pretty sure that'll do a really nice tv number um, by the way tommy along that lines you know you and i were bemoaning three or four years ago about you know could the television money keep going like it is and would the the the, the financial side of of college football catch up to the nfl <clears throat> the cowboys game on thursday did 42 million viewers that's the most watched non-Super Bowl game in the history of the NFL. And the college numbers will just follow. I, I don't know where the breaking point is, but it appears we're not near it. And so that makes that whole conference realignment and the television contracts that are coming up and what's on the on the format uh, on the forefront for the next year three or five. Really interesting. Yeah, there's been predictions that the bubble will burst on t- on media rights for 40 years now. Since the lawsuit in the '80s, Keith, and, and here we are, and the right start right. still keep going up. I want to I want to go back to Jordan a little bit more on this. So the the touchdowns. So to your point on his evolution, Keith, when when he first started playing and he was more of a runner, and he started getting nicked up and he would miss some games here and there. Uh, remember all the conversation we had. Okay, Jordan, you got to learn to get out of bounds so you don't take these hits. You got to slide. Well, if you look at last night, how many times did he scramble on the sideline and three guys are basically hitting air and he's standing up on the sideline. And then as he goes into the end zone, he's sliding feet first to protect his head. And because he did that, it took away two of his touchdowns in essence. But the point is, uh, he definitely has evolved. And and, and that's just one example. I'm going to get to another one momentarily. Um, He really did put FSU on its back last night because he had his, uh, the, the numbers were not good from a percentage standpoint, but, but, I'm going to say he probably had six drops in that football game, Keith. Yeah, he did. And we, and unfortunately that's been a trend over the last couple of weeks. that has been positive, but again, we nitpick. Well, and that's, so here's what I was going to ask. So when Florida state's in this winning streak and you're beating teams that aren't as talented, all of a sudden we, you know, you hear people start playing the boy, if FSU played Clemson a game again or wake again or NC state again. Well, I mean, maybe if you played wake and NC state right now with, <clears throat> and they're more injured maybe, but I, I think we saw similar games and similar execution issues for Florida state. So my question is really this, is it pressing because of the moment and the stage and all eyes are on you, or is it that you're playing a more equally talented team or in the case of Florida, they're actually more talented. If you look at the recruiting composite, uh, that it just brings out some of these things like a drop here and there because it's just tougher. It's not as easy as it is against lesser competition. It's it's that, and and I've always thought I could be very wrong, but just from an experience standpoint, when you're uh, a freshman or a sophomore versus when you're a junior or a senior, and when you're very confident in what you're doing as opposed to you know, if you've, when you've had 600 snaps as opposed to 200 snaps, those types of mistakes seem to get mediated and taken away because of your experience and your age. Am I making sense? In other words, 
you got to have talented players, but you also have to have talented players that have experience in terms of years and or snaps. And then those types of things seem to go away. Uh, so that's how I've always used it, viewed it. I mean, normally it's your very, you know, mature senior and junior dominated teams that, that win consistently. And it's your younger teams or less reps that are up and down. They can be, they can be absolutely fantastic. They can be Anthony Richardson for the first half, and they can be Anthony Richardson for the third quarter, and then they can be Anthony Richardson again in the fourth quarter. Superbly talented, but doesn't have the experience. And the same thing applies. And plus, we've got to, we've got to make sure we remember. I did not know this. I don't know if you were aware. But, but uh, Coach Norvell said after the game in one of his comments that, uh, that uh, you know, Johnny Wilson had not really practiced much during the week and he was banged up a little bit. And anytime you're, you're banged up, you know, it, it affects your three-point shooting, your, foul, your free throw shooting, and your catching of the football. I did not hear that. I haven't listened to Norvell's post-game press conference yet. Uh, but that would explain it. And so if you look at last week's game against Louisiana – I didn't think that Travis was sharp throwing the football in that game. And he had missed practice time because of the flu, like the flu bug that was going around. Uh, I do think this. So if there was concern about Johnny Wilson going pro, I think he showed last night that he's far from a finished product uh, and it would behoove him to, to come back for another year based on the number. And I don't mean to pick on Johnny. I just think as you look at this year and what Johnny is, we went into the season thinking he could be a good receiver, but he was inconsistent catching the football and I think we leave the season knowing he's a good receiver, but he's still inconsistent catching the football. And so there is room to improve. Uh, so I would expect him to come back again. Trey Benson was noncommittal, but I would expect him to come back. Maybe not. He doesn't have much wear and tear on that. And uh, I could see the pro scouts kind of saying, well, after that knee injury, he held up this year, but let's, let's see what he does one more year. And maybe he wants to come back anyway. I, I do think last night's game showed that that Florida state, Still, for as good as the offensive line was this year and as good a job as Alex Atkins and Mike Norvell have done, uh, you can see that Florida State still needs some some better parts and pieces up front. Uh, they, they need a tight end that is both a blocking tight end and a pass-catching threat, and they really don't have that right now. That's not what Cam McDonald is not a guy that's going to be an anchor next to your left or right tackle. You can get him free in the passing game from time to time. Uh, so there's there's room for improvement. I, I do think one of the real upsides, though, on the receiving front, if you think about Johnny Wilson coming back and Winston Wright, who didn't play all year and was supposed to be the best of the transfers coming in, how about the progress of the other younger, bigger receivers of the last half of the season, though? Malik McClain last week with that great catch. Portier, I feel like, has been pretty steady this year. I mean, I, I think it's a really good receiving core when you look at what next year is going to bring. The prospects are good, and there's a couple of younger kids that we haven't seen play that if you talk to anybody that goes to practices routinely will tell you they've got upside as well. Um, I, I think that segment, uh, much like the offensive line segment, has turned the corner and, and that Florida State can now start building upon that good foundation. I know one thing, they will block, and I also know they will hold. They have figured out how to hold, and sometimes they get called for it and sometimes they don't. But on on, on Trey's touchdown run, uh, if you want to nitpick the officials, there was a hold by the Florida State wide receiver on that one. Um, they will get after you. They're not gun shy. That's for sure. <laughs> See, this is where we like the officiating crew, right? <laughs> sometimes. Um, let me finish up on Jordan. I, I'm – I, I'm going to try to look at my notes, but I don't remember where it was. Uh, second half, Johnny Wilson drops a ball. It might have been the one that was uh, left or right on your TV screen, so it would have been uh, the top corner there near the end zone, a ball that he could have caught, but he didn't. And he came over, and he was sitting on the sideline, and he had his uh, his helmet was on, but his head was in his hand. So he was dejected, and you could see he was frustrated because at that point he'd had about four drops. And Travis comes over to him, and he taps him on the helmet and makes eye contact with him. And I couldn't hear what was said, but you could you could tell it was a shake it off, we're going to need you, this game isn't over kind of message. So then you fast forward two drives, and it's that key third down and they put one up on the left sideline, and Travis throws it to Johnny Wilson, and he makes the catch. 
And I just thought, so that's, that's a part, I don't know if TV cameras caught that, but that's where Jordan's leadership, he's very, he's been very positive on the sideline. I know there were some questions middle of the season about his body language. He's been really good of late on the sideline in terms of, Hey, just come on, we got this kind of thing. And so I, I thought that was pretty cool to see it happen and then see it pay off with Johnny making that big catch. Again, back to building a program, you know, you can't have just one, you've got to have several. Uh, but those are the types of things during a game. And sometimes, Tommy, even during a practice, particularly during a scrimmage, where, you know, your, your leadership, you can lead by example, and that is a great form of leadership. But you also need that verbal stuff that's coming from your upperclassmen and not just from your coaching staff or graduate assistants or an injured player, uh, you know, someone who's out there uh, giving it and saying, come on, I need you. We need you. You've got to pick it up. Let's go. Uh, I, I, can't, I can't even begin to explain to you the number of times that that occurred to me during my career, you know, with Monk or Paul or Reggie or Ron, you know, just, just something they would say, something they would do that would just snap you back into attention. Because when you're dejected, you feel sorry for yourself. Well, you can't do anything when you're feeling sorry for yourself. you got to let that go, learn from it, and move on. And sometimes a, a not-so-subtle reminder, uh, given in the correct way, but a not-so-subtle reminder uh, is needed. What do you think about Jared Verse now that he's got a season in the books? And I was just looking. He had five tackles in this game, half tackle for loss. They credit him with two QB hurries. Uh, maybe it was more noticeable watching on TV. But he's, he certainly he's been good for getting free for a sack or two a game. And now against a good Florida offensive line, to me, he didn't do as much. So how do you think that – do you think he'll, he'll be back? Is there enough there that maybe says, you know, there's still a lot of room for improvement here, or does it not matter because he's still projected as a first-round pick? If, if he remains projected as a first-round pick, Tommy, in today's environment, you, you can't come back. I mean, the money and, and the upside is just too strong. Uh, I noticed that as well, and I think my answer to that, and we'd have to coach talk to Coach Papushus uh, about this, but I'm not sure he's as far along as uh, Jermaine was from a technique standpoint. I think he still has all the physical tools. I think he still has all of the mental uh, in terms of stamina and want to and get after it, uh, but I think he needs some more help on, on hand placement and, and leverage and the things that go into being able to work your way through a larger and well-coached offensive tackle, which is obviously what he's going to face at the next level. But just given his physical talents and, and the need for that at the NFL level, you know, if you're a top 10 or a top 20 pick, you know, I don't, I don't know how you give that up to come back for another year. Does that make sense? It does, and it makes sense that he's not as far as long as Jermaine Johnson, who played five years at the college level, I think, counting his junior college, and, and versus now played three. Right. So if you give him one it's more not year. A knock. Yeah, not a knock, not a criticism, just a statement of fact. Yeah. I, I will say I've enjoyed He's been a good interview and a very positive kid and, and fun. I think he's enjoyed his experience. Uh, I, I'm really – I don't. we're not the recruiting guys, Keith, but based on what Florida State's brought in in the portal the last two years, based on a resume of, frankly, not much, I'm really curious to see what they can bring in now based on a resume that's got a lot more bullets on there about success and proven track record and getting guys to the next level. Uh, because because we certainly have seen that they they are good evaluators of talent in, in the portal. They are, Tommy. Uh, however, I would tell you that long-term success, long-term success, uh, Alabama type of success, Clemson type of success, Ohio State type of success, uh, I believe is still focused on recruiting high school kids and, and recruiting kids that are willing to be patient, willing to be developed. And then you use the portal for your needs. And obviously the first two years, Florida State's had some pretty big needs. But now they've, they've got, they're working on their third recruiting class um, that they can control completely. Uh, and I, I still believe, I may be wrong, but I still believe that you build sustained excellence from the high school level. Uh, and, and their ability to recruit out of the portal should, and I think has, trans transfer very easily to recruiting at the high school level. 
you're just, you just got to find the right kids that are willing to be a little patient. Well, they're making inroads on the high school front. I mean, we just saw a commit flip from Ohio State to FSU right, quarterback. They right. got a five-star receiver coming in. They're still in play with a big-time running back. Um, the The jury is still out on it. Florida State's been, and these are raw numbers, right? They've been 20 and 10 the last couple of years, meaning roughly 20 high school kids and roughly 10 portal guys. I know that's not exact. Uh, when it first started, I, I thought it was going to be 28 and 2. Maybe they'll get to 25 and five to your point to be more like Alabama. But I don't know if 20 and 10 is is necessarily a bad place because two things about the high school kids, Keith. One, the difference between a high school kid and a portal kid right now is if you're getting a high school kid, you're getting somebody who's chasing the, the NIL dollars and the playing time. And if they don't get it in their first year or two, they're transferring out, right? Well, they may get the NIL dollar, but if they're not getting playing time, they're transferring out. <clears throat> so if you get a portal kid, uh, in theory, and this is a generalization, you're getting somebody who's already passed that, and now they just want to play. They're a little f- further along in their physical development because they're a year or two removed. And once you get them to your to your campus, they can't transfer on you unless they graduate. So if you get a guy that's already played a freshman year somewhere and he transfers in, you're going to have them for two or three years, and you don't necessarily have that guarantee on high school kids anymore. Anyway, we've turned this into way too much recruiting because, again, we're not the guys. But go ahead and rebut. I see you want to say something. I'm, I'm just simply saying, you know, 40 years ago, there was a reason kids went to junior college as opposed to straight into a four-year program. Fast forward to 2020, 2021, 2022. There have been some wonderful transfer successes, but there's a reason a kid's transferring. And so can you manage that? I will call it a negative. I'll just call it a negative. It may be for various reasons, but can your staff and can your current players accept uh, those that come in for a reason as opposed to those who made a decision right out of high school? Now, that may go completely away five or ten years from now if it hasn't already in terms of a train of thought or a type of thought. But again, if you look at Clemson, if you look at Alabama, if you look at Ohio State, they do not recruit 20 and 10. They're recruiting yeah. 25 and five. And so that's the basis of my point. Yeah, no, I, I understand. <clears throat> I want to, uh, I want to be fair on this, but I want to point out something that that's the obvious and that's uh, the kicking game for FSU Keith. Now I know Fitzgerald, I, I don't know what happened to him. He got hurt at some point in last night's game because he was he flipping around. They stopped using him on kickoffs. He went through the stretch where he changed his mechanics this year and and had no confidence. He recovered from that. But if you think about just about every game I can think of right now uh, this year that was close for Florida State, uh, a kick would have been helpful. So the LSU game, he missed one early on. Now, that was a 50-yarder, I think. So you can't count that uh, as money in the bank. But against Louisville, which got dicey at the end, he had missed two field goals that were plus or minus 35 yards. And if you have those field goals, the end end game scenario plays out differently. Against Wake Forest, he missed one end of the first half and late in the game. And had he made either of those, then it's a one possession game down the stretch against Wake instead of two, which means it's still winnable. Um, It changed how you manage the end of the NC State game because at that point he was in his kicking funk. And if you had confidence that he's going to hit a 35-yarder, you're not throwing to the end zone. So now we get to this game last night, and he missed a 37-yard field goal. It was the one miss in the red zone. All the talk about Florida State's red zone issues this year, if you look at them, and I think they probably wound up missing nine or ten times over the course of the season, and meaning not converting – well, five or six of those were missed field goals in the red zone, uh, in- including last night. And so, again, the point last night, if you have a 10-point lead at the end instead of seven, then we're not all sweating as Florida's going down the field. And I don't know where they're going to go. He has eligibility left, but you have to be better in the kick. And I'm not I'm not saying you got to be able to make 52-yard field goals. you got to be able to make 35-yard field goals and count them. Count on them. Well, well, one of the things that, that Florida State has been able to do historically, because of the nature and the stature of the program, they've been able to find and go after and bring in the best high school kicker in the country. Uh, they did that with Sebastian. They did that all the way back with Scott Bentley. 
they, they've done it with others. Names are escaping me. I think that's your answer. Um, you've got you to identify and locate that kicker, and you've got to go get him. And now, maybe now, you've got the resume, as you talk about, to, to bring him in and say, look, you'll be here three years, possibly four years, and you're our kicker. You know, come, come play with us. Right. Right. So I don't know where they'll go that way, but if you look back at this season, and I know we could do, you could say if Johnny Wilson makes a catch in four of those games, uh, and I could point to some of those, he didn't have a great game against NC State. Uh, I think there was a drop against Wake Forest. You know, we could do it that way too. I'd, I'd hate to put it on one, uh, just like picking on the officiating in one particular play. There's a lot of plays in a football game, but but I do think that the, the kicking issues for Florida State to come out nine and three, uh, kind of around or in spite of those kicking issues, that's not insignificant. Well, Tommy, just remember that last year and the year before that, and the two years before that, and then arguably the year before that, we'd be doing these shows and and we wouldn't be nitpicking because we never we didn't have enough time to nitpick. We'd t- be talking about we've got to find a way to average more than one point nine yards per rush. And we've got to find a way to have some explosive plays. Well, you just pick those two things right there. You know, FSU is amongst the nation's leaders, top 20 anyway, in yards per rush. And they lead the country in explosive plays. Uh, So that just, to me, illustrates, and I hate to say it, don't reach through, but that just illustrates the value of Norvell and the value of the climb and the buy-in, at least so far, that these kids have had in this program. I'm looking at my notes from the game, Keith. You want to talk about reminiscent of FSU in years past when we Jimbo would call it rat trapping. We'd talk about pressing. They they mean well, but uh, you know they're trying hard, but they're making the mistake. Good lord, Florida was good for a penalty every third down on offense. I mean, did you notice that every time it was third and two, third and five, third and seven, false start, illegal formation, hold. I mean, think about that. That's where FSU was a couple of years ago, and that's what Florida's dealing with right now. They made it tougher on themselves every third down last night in that football game. You, you had to overcome the opponent, and you had to overcome yourself if you yeah. were going to win a football game. Um, start of the game really felt like a rivalry game, Keith. You know, Florida State would, uh, if you just look at it, Florida forces a fumble, FSU forces a, 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 a stop, a turnover on downs, you know. Florida State gets two runs from Benson and they're in the end zone. Florida comes back with a 50-yard pass. It was just – it was a boxing match early on. I did feel like – and this is this is a hindsight because it didn't happen. When it got to 38-24, Florida State was one defensive stop away from really finishing and running away with that football game. Now, they didn't do it, and that's to Florida's credit. But if you got one more three and out there or you forced Florida to punt, FSU, I'm confident, would have gone down and scored and gotten it to 45 and 24, and it would have it would have just stayed out of hand from there. Didn't go that way, but that's how close they were to finishing them. And that so goes credit back Florida, to credit Florida for hanging in there on that exactly. But that also goes back to the the the, the um, I was going to use the term sermon. That sounds too harsh, but the constant reminder that Coach Norvell gives this group and gives us as fans about this thing called situational, uh, you know, uh, 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 knowledge and situational awareness. You're up by two touchdowns. You kick off. It's first and 10 Florida on the 25, third quarter, early fourth quarter. You've got to beware as a defensive unit. This is a unique situation. If we can get a three and out, we can turn this ball game completely. That's another level on that climb, Tommy, where and, – and, and probably at this point you're also playing, you know, your second and maybe even your third team tackles. You're rotating your defensive backs. So this late in the ball game, you don't have your quote-unquote starters. So if your starters are in there, they may have that situational now. Uh, knowledge and that situational awareness. But now you've got your your 17th and your 18th and your 20th players in there because you've had to rotate people and they played snaps and now this is where they're at. Does the defensive unit have that awareness? And again, that's another level on the climb of, of building the program. 
all in all, it's a win, and you get a win over Miami, and you're nine and three. Uh, Keith, uh, I I think it's probably going to be Jordan Travis you're going to salute at this point. I'm going out on a limb there, but <laughs> no, you're not. Me. You're not going out. Uh, and by the way, I got two different texts last night late, uh, and they just said two words on them: uh, state champs. Because you'll remember Coach Bowden used to say all the time, you got to win the state of Florida before you can win the national championship. And so uh, that that road uh, is one that is understood. But time for our performance of the game, which is sponsored by uh, our longtime friends at Prime Meridian Bank. And I am going to salute Jordan Travis. His completion percentage, not great, below 50%, but he threw for 270 yards. Uh, he rushed for another 80, 82 net uh, 350 yards. Uh, he accounted for multiple touchdowns. I, I didn't even look it up. I can't count them. Uh, but he was remarkable. And speaking of remarkable, um, you want to go someplace where they greet you by name, you walk in the door, they'll be offered uh, something to drink, a cookie, along with some great products, mortgage, home equity lines, business, personal checking accounts, et cetera. Uh, then uh, stop by and visit our friends at Prime Meridian Bank locations. Two of them in Tallahassee, also in Crawfordville and Lakeland. Um, they, uh, they're the best. So try my bank, prime Meridian bank. You can visit them online at trymybank.com. Keith, just that the, the iconic video uh, of last night's game is going to be that Travis scramble that you referenced where he broke four tackles and ran around another guy. And uh, if we didn't have replay review involved in college football, it would have been a touchdown. Uh, that one's going to go down. I'm just thinking about it. Uh, it, not necessarily the same circumstances, but when you pull up the short reel of memorable highlights for FSU, it's going to be on it with Ward to Dunn in 93 and with Ricks to PK Sam in 03 and with Peter Ward catching the deflected pass uh, that went through Marquand Manuel's hands in 98. That Travis scramble is going to be on that short list. I mean, that that really was one for the ages. So it was. Uh, and how about the fan base, Tommy? We haven't talked about them. That's one of the first things that Coach Norvell said, both in his uh, television uh, interview on the field as well as his postgame remarks. I mean, that was a hard sellout, um, 79,000. I, I didn't get the exact last three numbers, but 79,000. Uh, it was loud. Uh, it was appropriately loud in the right places. Uh, the commentators on television kept talking about the fact that they, don't, they didn't think anybody ever sat down. Uh, you know, at any time. Um, and, and, and maybe just maybe that corner has been turned as well. Uh, we've talked all about you know, the, the, the physical nature of how hard it is for Florida State fans to get to the game because of where they live and, and uh, their distance from the stadium. Uh, but it was good to see. And, and I think the FSU faithful, and you talked about this during the week, you know, the buzz and the conversation in, uh, in diners and restaurants and then uh, when they're doing their shopping and as they were getting ready for Thanksgiving was all positive. And um, uh, Stephen Ponder, uh, the CEO of the Boosters, spoke at the Varsity Club board meeting, not this week, but last week, and talking about all of the things that are going on in terms of fundraising and programs. You know, the trajectory is upward. Uh, and I think getting in this bowl game, depending on where Florida State goes and how they perform in that bowl game, will continue that climb uh, that Coach Norvell – I mean, he's got me saying it. I know he's got the players saying it. He's got me saying it. You know, that 1% a day, work on the climb, love your brother, uh, give it your all, go to work. All the other buzzwords uh, are now starting to be um, a reality. Well, so on the bowl game, we won't we, we can save that for our middle of the week show. But uh, if Clemson somehow finds its way into the college football playoff, which upsets have to happen, but if Clemson made the playoff, Florida State's going to the Orange Bowl. I mean, that's crazy to think about. But North Carolina lost again. The way the rule reads, the second best team. If 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 the if the ACC champ is. Uh, well, I say that, but I mean, it, it, there's a chance, I, I guess. So what happens if North Carolina beats Clemson? Uh, and they're the ACC champ. Then well, I guess if, if, if Clemson doesn't get in the playoff, Florida State will not be in the Orange Bowl. Let's just right. say it that way. Yeah. Clemson yeah. has to get in the playoff in order to create any opportunity for Florida State to get to the Orange Bowl. Yeah. it's. Uh, I don't think Florida State will be in the discussion for an at-large to a New Year's Six. But, man, when you look back at it, they really are winning the NC State football game away from being in that discussion to get an at-large there, which would be the Cotton Bowl, I think, this year. So we'll see. It's going to be a good bowl game. Uh, 
a lot of excitement when you finish nine and three, especially you've gone from three wins to five wins to nine wins now. So I think there's some, some solid proof of concept out there on what Norvell can do as a coach. Any thoughts on the rushing of the field as we finish up, Keith? Um, Tommy, I am, I'm going to be your old your, school. You're old school. I know. So I'm here it comes. Be your worst, your worst enemy in order to rush the field. Your program has had to be down, and now it's back up. You didn't see anybody rushing the field during the dynasty years. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, it's a great thing. I'm, I'm glad the fans are happy. The kids are happy. The students are happy. I'm happy for that. But I just go back to the fact that during the dynasty, you didn't rush the field. Well, and we're not during the dynasty, though. So to your point, I, it was cathartic. Now, it caught me by surprise. I was doing an interview, and then I looked up, and here are the students. And uh, I had two thoughts. One was, well, I've been on the wrong end of this when the other team has rushed the field. I think every team in the ACC, as a matter of fact, about, I've except for Duke, because they've never beat FSU. I've been on the field when the other team has rushed the field on FSU. And my second order of business is always, I got to get the hell out of here and get in the locker room, because I'm not going to be a highlight for the wrong reason. So that's my two objectives at that point. Well, I, I thought I, it was I, I thought it was cathartic. Yeah. If you think about it, not that all these students have been here, but the last five or six years, I mean, it was the Jimbo constantly flirting with other teams. Should I stay or should I go? He leaves. The Taggart era was not great. COVID comes in. I mean, these are kids that uh, that rushed the field last night. Their first two years, you know, they were doing remote classes. Attendance was limited at football games. So I think it it's all that rolled up into one. It didn't have to do with beating a mediocre Florida football team so much as it had to do with celebrating the fact that FSU is, I don't know if you call them back, but they're certainly a lot closer than they've been since 2015 or 2016. And, and I will concede that, and I don't mean to be the old fuddy-duddy. Uh, I'm just saying that I would love for us to be back uh, to the level where you know we beat Florida by a couple of touchdowns and everybody goes, that was a great game. Let's go home and get ready for the playoffs. Yep. I hear you. I hear you. All right. We're done, Keith. Enjoyed it. It's always fun to wrap up a win over Florida. It's been a heck of a year. Uh, enjoy these Sunday shows. These are kind of cathartic for us. Although this year, uh, uh, unlike the last five years when we would really commiserate for an hour, uh, these have been more celebratory in nature. They have. And again, I go back to, to, to the two words that uh, I'll be saying this week, state champs, state champs. And if you're going to pick two other words, you might pick Jordan Travis. That would be a good one, too. Yeah. All right, Keith. Folks, thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you again on Wednesday. This is Front Row Knowles.